This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the word to stand on for life. I really like when the um, announcer just on the intro says, and how to apply the word in your daily life. Now, he says it with a beautiful voice, but how to apply the word in your daily life. That's really what this program is about. It's what really Bible teachers should be about. What does the word say? What does it mean? And then how can we use it in our lives? And I hope we're able to help you a little bit with that part of it on this program. If you have anything going on in your life, if you have any questions, you can dial us at 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. and Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, because it's Wednesday, we got church tonight. I'm going to be teaching in First Samuel, I'm First Samuel. Why did I say that? I have no idea. I'm in Genesis chapter 26. I have no idea why I said First Samuel, but Genesis chapter 26, um, the only chapter in in our Bibles that's completely devoted to Isaac. You'd think that the child of promise would have a whole lot more written about him. His father did. His son will. Um, uh, his descendant Joseph will. But but uh, only one chapter is given to Isaac. And I always thought that was a little bit on the weird side, a little strange. But that will be tonight uh, at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvaryessay.com or you can join us. Uh, We've always got room on Wednesday nights. We'd love to have you. Uh, Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. And uh, we'd love to be able to take your phone calls. And I'm always anxious to see what the Lord puts on Paula's heart. Well, let me get to some questions that have been sent in, and then we'll wait for your phone calls. Uh, the first question is from Stacy regarding Romans 13, 1 through 7, and Matthew twenty two twenty one. And here's what she says. She says, how do we as believers apply these scriptures considering what's going on in our world, in the elections, in matters of pro-life versus pro-choice, and our governing authorities, etc.? I understand the context of Scripture and what Jesus is saying in Matthew and it's relative to taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I guess what I'm trying to ask is how do we obey a law when it seems as though it directly goes against what what God wants for us? And then she says in parentheses, obviously our laws have changed. Examples that gay marriage is now legal, abortions are legal, etc. Um, Stacy, the, 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 this isn't really a difficult question. If, if we could, because we are offended by laws, um, just sort of write them off and not obey them, then, then this could get really sticky. But, but basically, this is just very simple. Obey the governing authorities that are put here by God for our benefit. Now, we know that doesn't always mean that they are going to rule according to our benefit, especially in the world that we live in as Christians. But also remember that when Paul wrote Romans 13 and later when Peter uh, talked about it, the, the, the governing authority that they told us to be in obedience to was Caesar Nero, a demon-possessed man. 
So I think we have got to separate the, the, the laws that come from our governing authorities and then our response to those laws. We need to obey them unless and until the government asks us to do something that violates what the Word of God has told us to do. That's when we have to make a choice. You remember early in Acts uh, when Peter and the other apostles had just been set free from prison and they were beaten again and the authorities told them, you know, stop preaching in this name. We're going to let you go, but you you can't preach in this name anymore. And and Peter looked at him and said, well, you decide what's right. Should we obey you or should we obey God? And I think that's the way that we have to take uh, our direction, Stacey. For example, with the the the... the Examples you gave us with gay marriage and abortion being legal. Uh, if the government would tell us we had to support gay marriage or we had to have an abortion, uh, then obviously we couldn't do that. Um, but the laws are made for everybody in our country. And as much as we might um, disagree as vehemently as we might um, stand against them, um, as long as we're not being asked to violate the laws of God given to us. If I was told, for example, uh, you mentioned the election, if I was told I had to vote for a pro-choice or a pro-abortion candidate, I would say I can't do that. Or if if I had to support um, in, in my ministry uh, gay marriage because, because not to do so would be um, um, demonstrating a prejudice, a bias. I would have to say, look, I've got the word of God that guides me and I can't do that. So again, in Romans 13 especially, the thought there is that without government and without laws, it would be utter chaos. And I'm not talking about the kind of chaos we have now. I mean, imagine if there were no stop signs, if there were no red lights or green lights. Uh, imagine if everybody could do what they wanted when they wanted. We could walk into a store and just take what we wanted. Oh, for a minute, I forgot we do that now in the world that we live in. So, you see, it'd just be chaos and, and lawlessness. So we support the authorities because authority has been established by God. I want to make it clear that doesn't mean that the person in authority is God's choice. It just means the office that we're to respect and that we are to obey, to live peaceably with. Um, that law, that structure has been placed in our world, by God, for our own good. So um, it doesn't mean that we have to support an abortion law. Um, We still have the freedom to talk about it in this world. I don't know how much longer that's going to be in in our country. Um, But but we, we, we ourselves, we couldn't be forced to abort a child. So I hope that makes sense to you. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Tonight in my study... Stacy here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a guy who sort of tried to get away with as much as he could. Um, we would call him a believer, but somebody who's trying to, uh, in the middle of God blessing him in spite of who he is, um, he's still trying to get as close to the world as he can. Um, we've got to take a stand for Jesus in our lives and not be subject to compromise. So I hope that makes sense to you, Stacey. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Brian says, Pastor Ron, did the devil cause COVID? Why doesn't God stop it? And then he says, I'm afraid like most normal people. Brian, let me start at the end of your question. Um, I think we're all afraid. Uh, Fear is part of life. Uh, What we can't do as Christians is give in to the fear. And I think we've got to make a distinction. Um, There are things that, that are of concern, things that worry us, um, things that we are fearful of, but those are things that we've got to rely on God to deal with, and we still have to be obedient. So it's okay to be afraid. It is never okay, Brian, to give in to that fear. So the Christian who, and, and there's a lot of them now, but the Christian who is afraid of COVID and all of the ter- terribly exaggerated news report. Um, um, the Christian that locks himself or herself in 
their room and doesn't come out. The Christian that stops coming to church and stops serving and using the gifts that God has given him or her. Um, that's where we walk into that place where we're violating the word of God and we're walking um, away from faith, which means it's impossible. According to Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's okay to be afraid. But remember that Jesus has got you. That doesn't mean you're not going to get it. I believe, Brian, personally, and I'm not a medical guy, but I believe that everybody's going to get this. I think when people lock themselves up in their house and they can do it for months, we've been in in this, what, eight months since it started in earnest here in March. Um, uh, The people that come out now are going to get it. Now, I, I had it. I am, I'm, I'm immune for a period of time. Nobody seems to know how long that period of immunity is. So um, um, I, I'm, I'm relatively comfortable being out and amongst the people. That's my job, and I want to be able to do that. But um, imagine if, if I was afraid of exposure and I didn't do my job. How would I ever explain that to Jesus? So again, it's okay to be afraid. Just don't give in to fear. Let me answer your first question. Did the devil cause it? The answer is no. Evil men caused it. We live in a fallen world. And it's just this exceptionally, highly contagious virus that at one point or another we're all going to get. And we can't hide from it. We can hide from it for, as I said a moment ago, eight months and suddenly then you go out. If you're around somebody who transmits it, then you're going to get it. You're, You're still susceptible to it. So it's not the devil that caused it. And your question, why doesn't God stop it? Um, God doesn't stop all, a lot of evil, most evil. He's going to one day. And I think all of us, we can't wait for that day. But, but there's a lot of evil that goes on that God doesn't stop. So don't expect him to stop it. I've had this fantasy, Brian that God would send a message to the world somehow. And and knowing that people are going to abuse it, but knowing that other people are going to find him in the process, my fantasy has been, Lord, send a message to this world that, that, that you're going to stop COVID all at once, all over the world. Give us a time and a date so nobody can deny that it was you. And then after you've done that, then send another word to this world that says, Okay, now you know I have the power to stop this. And unless you turn to me, unless you stop sinning, something worse is going to happen. How many people do you think would come to Christ? I think myriads of people would be coming to Jesus with that kind of evidence. On the other hand, there's still people whose hearts are so hard they're not going to believe. And what we do in a case like that is is we simply say, okay, something worse is going to happen. You remember at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, uh, Jesus walked up to a paralytic and said, do you want to be made well? The man said, well, I don't have anybody to throw me in the water. And, and Jesus uh, told him, pick up his mat and go home. But the crowd was so large that when the man left, Jesus didn't get a chance to talk to him any longer. He sought him out the next day. And he said to him, Stop sinning or something else will happen. Something worse will happen. I think that kind of message would be very timely now. So, Brian, you can join me in my prayer for that. Uh, That's the very thing I've been praying daily for quite some time now. Uh, I would love for um, the the Lord just to show off, knowing he's going to be taken advantage of, um, but, but at the same time, just because there's some who would believe it. There's like 3,000 of, of uh, the people in Peter's audience the first day got saved and 5,000 more a couple of days later. Be a whole bunch of people get saved. Who knows, one of them might be the last one. So, um, Brian, I think we need to learn to live with this virus. We've got vaccines that were on the verge of coming out. Uh, I, I personally believe that you'll probably see uh, the healthcare workers, those who are in constant exposure uh, to this uh, virus, um, um, working in hospitals and and uh, other places, 
I think they'll probably get the vaccines first, as I think they should. Um, but we don't know what we're going to have to learn to live with. It. It's not something that's ever going to go away. Like flu comes every year. Uh, I think this coronavirus is going to come back every single year, and uh, we're going to have to learn to live with it. I hope that makes sense to you, Brian. Here's a question from Damien. Well, it's kind of similar to Stacy's question. Damien says, how can I balance respecting our governing authorities and the terrible things that they stand for? Um, the, the best way to balance um, the, the two, Damien, is to vote. And I'm sure, if you, with this heart, I'm sure you voted. Uh, sometimes our votes win, sometimes they don't. In this particular case, at least as far as the presidential race is concerned, um, um, your candidate, I'm sure, lost. Uh, at the same time, uh, we have to pray for uh, the authorities that will be in charge. Um, pray they get saved. That's the only thing, a move of God's Spirit on their heart. Pray that same thing, by the way, for our current president. Um, and then you respect them. You don't have to respect the choices they make, nor do you have to respect the things they stand for. Respect the office if you cannot respect the man or the woman. I personally believe that we're going to have a woman, first woman president. She's the elected vice president. But, um, you know, the, the president-elect Biden is simply um, not in this for the long haul. I, don't, I just don't believe he is. I don't think his health will take it. So respect them, pray for them, pray Jesus for them. And then, as I mentioned in my response to Stacy's question, uh, obey them until you get to the point where they tell you to do something that violates what God has already commanded you to do. These men and women, Damien, are so accountable to God. Do much is given, Jesus said, much more is required. And that doesn't just mean believers, because everybody's going to stand in judgment before the Lord. And when they stand in judgment, um... Uh, just imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment how they're going to explain. Jesus said, I gave you this opportunity to do good in my world. And instead of doing good, you killed babies. Instead of doing good, you championed sin. Sin of the most wicked type. How are they going to ever explain that to Jesus and of course we know that they're not going to be able to every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father so I think that's how you do it one of the things Damien and, and I've found this I'm, I'm a pretty opinionated guy I've had to learn to really swallow my opinions at the same time um, I don't want to get bitter toward people for whom Jesus died and I know me that's, that's just who I am in the flesh and I'm going to get embittered against these people so that's why I pray for them regularly and by that I mean almost daily I'm sure there's some days I forget but but not very many of them and as you pray for these people God will change your heart so protect yourself Damien by keeping uh, the people that are so difficult for us to to respect and understand Um, pray for them pray they get saved God will change your heart toward them Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. The phone's been quiet so far this week, and we love your input. Here is an anonymous question. I really do believe we are in the last days, so how can I convince my Catholic parents without it turning into a huge argument? Anonymous, um, it takes two people to argue. I think this is something that we need to remember always. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't share your faith. What it means is that you don't argue with them about it. You just make a statement. I tell our church here all the time that you don't have to defend our gospel. Just declare it. Let it loose. And the Holy Spirit will do the work. Now, with Catholics, it's, it's, it's really a, an advantage because they actually believe in the same Father, the same Son, and the Holy Spirit. They just haven't been born again 
which means they're doing religion, and religion is something Isaiah 1 indicates God hates. And, um, you know, religion hardens hearts. So you just share the good news of Jesus Christ with your parents, and when they want to argue about it, just tell them, look, I'm not going to argue with you. I respect you and love you too much. I'm just going to tell you that Except a man be born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And just leave it at that, and then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. But but you've got to stay committed to turning away from any argument. No matter what buttons they push, no matter how they provoke you, you've got to stay absolutely committed to taking the high road. That I call it the Jesus road. And let them see that there's something different about you. And if they want to argue with you, one of the good things about that is, you know, it's it's uh, um, a lot of times I find that people who want to argue the most are pretty close to Jesus and they're not aware of it. So you just be an example and pray for them. Adam says, how do I pray for a professing believer who is not now walking with the Lord and who has never shown any fruit of being transformed. Uh, Adam, that's the easy question. You pray that they get saved. You know, if you if this is somebody that you can talk to and you, you can engage in conversation, the, the question to ask them is, what makes you think you're a believer? <laughs> I mean, I've known you a long time. There's never been any fruit of the Spirit coming from your life. There's never been any any evidence of you being transformed by the Spirit of God? Currently, right now, you're not walking with Jesus, so what makes you think you're a believer? And they may say something like, well, I was, I was raised in a Christian home, or I got baptized, or I answered an altar call. Um, it doesn't matter. None of that saves you. And that's really a good place for you to engage them in conversation. Uh, because if you look at 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians chapter 5, there's a list of sins. It says people who live like this, and it's not people who occasionally mess up. It's people whose lifestyles are characterized by these kinds of things. And then you can read the list to them. It says people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so it's simple. There's a lot of people, Adam, that like to think that, well, you know, I answered an altar call or I went to a crusade and went forward. Uh, and they like to convince themselves that that's going to secure a place in heaven for them. It doesn't. The parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives the definition of that parable in what I call the foundational parable of all the parables. And it says, our job is to scatter the seed. The seed is the word of God. Where it lands isn't up to us. We just scatter the word, throw the word, and then it'll hand, land on human hearts and those hearts will either produce fruit or they won't. So be realistic about your prayers. Jesus, I pray that they give saved, that they give their heart to you. I've got a son. My prayer for him and his family every day is, Lord, my prayer is and they're they're believers, but but there's times when there's not a lot of fruit, not bad fruit, but there's just not a lot of fruit. They their minds are occupied with other things. I just say, Lord, go get them all in, all in, holding nothing back. And I think that's the most effective way to pray for people that we care about, even those, especially those who claim to belong to Jesus, who are not. Um, really completely committed to serving the Lord. So Adam, I think that's how you pray and I think the more realistic we are um, in our prayers, the better chance we have of getting our prayers answered. It's frustrating, I know, when people claim to be one thing and they're living like something else, especially if they're people in your family or good friends. Um, but, but remember, if you really love them, you got to tell them the truth. Thank you, Adam, for the question. I think this will be the last question for this half of the program. Uh, Leon says, is tithing enough or should we give over and above 
the tithe. Now, Leon, I'm probably going to have to take the other part of this question on the other side of the break. So let me just say at the beginning here, um, tithing means a tenth, 10%. Um, is that enough for a Christian to give to the one who gave everything for us? I mean, just answer that question honestly and practically. And of course it's not enough. Of course it's not enough. If under the law, law that condemned, they were to give 10%, how much more should we, who have been given everything, give over and above that? Leon, I'm coming back to this on the other side of the break. Hey, we'd love your live calls and questions, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the Word to Stand On for Life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the Wednesday Show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Leon, let me get back to your question on tithing. Um, Christians are not obligated to tithe. Um, You... I don't say this for any, I'm not trying to brag or boast, but, but I'm a, Paul and I, we're very generous tippers. Um, we realize, because we're telling people who we are, and, and um, you know, we, we, we want to leave the sweet aroma of Christ. We, we don't, when we go to a restaurant, give just 10%. Can you imagine giving a server 10%? The aroma that would leave behind. I wonder sometimes if we who are believers who try to get away with giving just 10% to the Lord, I wonder what that really smells like in heaven. Again, we're not under the law. That is a Jewish law written to Israelites. Our standard is from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers, I urge you, the King James says, I beseech you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And the concept there, Leon, is a totality of who you are. We might say our time, our talent, and our treasure. It all belongs to the Lord. And so as New Testament Christians, we need to get the perspective that everything that we have belongs to the Lord. And so our responsibility as stewards then is to say, Jesus, it's all yours, not just 10 cents on a dollar, but the whole dollar belongs to you, What do you want me to do with your money? He's given it to you. He's put it in your hand. Okay, Lord, how can I honor you? What do you want me to do with your money? And I believe with all of my heart, Leon, that the Lord will speak to your heart. And believe me, when you are giving according to the will of God, when you're being generous, Proverbs 11 says, a generous man himself will be blessed by God. We need to be generous. And the best way to do that is remember it's not ours. We're just borrowing it. We're stewards of it. And then we have to give. The man and the woman that gives 10% week in and week out is somebody that I'm personally convinced doesn't really understand how much God loves them and how much that he's done for them. I really don't think they do. So, Leon, you should give whatever God tells you to give. Just by way of explanation, I've had people here in the church that would come to our church and they were so in debt or, or had, had um, emergencies that just kept coming up. And, and I've actually told them, don't give any money. Just give to get out of debt so that you can truly one day say, God, everything is, is yours now. 
And they did it, and then God blessed them. So Leon, ask Jesus what to give. And don't let an Old Testament law that has nothing to do with you, don't let that law determine how little you can get away with. Doug says, um, Pastor Ron, a lot of people seem to be prophesying now because of everything going on in the world. Do you think this is God pouring out his spirit? Um, Doug, look around. Does it look like God is pouring out his spirit right now in our world? I'd say just the opposite is what appears to be. Now, here's what happens. When people are in a desperate or hopeless situation, uh, all these false prophets come. You know, thus saith the Lord, and they'll have all these great declarations. And they'll claim to be speaking for God, and somehow it always involves you blessing them. So forget the prophesying. There are no modern-day prophets. There are men and women speaking words of prophecy. That doesn't make one a prophet. Men and women... God gives the gifts of knowledge and the gifts of wisdom to those words that 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 encourage and edify his body. So um, no, I think what you see is a lot of people who are false prophets. The prophecies do not come true, and they find some way to sort of rationalize. Well, it didn't come true because of this. Uh, I, right now, as I'm, I'm thinking about this question, Doug, um, there are three people I know of that are prophesying, have prophesied that, that President Trump will be the president uh, for the next four years. That the, the man who appears to be the president-elect will not sit in that office. Now, you know, honestly, I'm hoping they're right. But that still wouldn't make them profit. Here's the question. What are they going to do when on January 20th another president is given the oath of office. They're going to find some spiritual-sounding way of explaining it away. And um, unfortunately, Christians are going to fall for it. So no, God's not pouring out His Spirit. God will give His Spirit to anybody who wants it. If you seek me, you I, I will be found by you, He says. But don't let these men and women who claim to be prophets... Um, again, in times where we're hopeless or desperate, um, they know that false prophecy pays them. We want to hear good stuff, so we'll pay to hear it. And we have to be really, really careful because they're not prophesying by the Spirit of God. Here's what you'll see if God begins to pour out His Spirit. And Doug, I think if you've listened to this program, you know that I'm praying for one more huge move of God's Spirit before Jesus returns for his church. One more. And this is um, a prayer from my heart daily before the Lord. If God pours out his heart, you're going to see people repenting from sin, people getting saved. You're going to see a move of God's Spirit affect large swaths of 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 our society indiscriminately the rich the poor the hetero and the homosexual the drug addict the alcoholic and they're going to stop sinning because they have an encounter with the living God and I believe this is just me thinking out loud Doug I believe that just as the last move of God's Spirit in our world, the Jesus People movement in the late 60s and early 70s, um, which I'm a part of um, by virtue of, of being a Calvary Chapel pastor, God took the most unlikely people in the world at the time. And His Spirit moved upon them. Hippies who were their brains fried by drugs. They dropped out, turned on. They'd just completely given up. And God said, well, who can I choose? Where can I start this spirit? I know on those who are the least likely at all to get saved. 
and they got saved. A lot of those hippies are friends of mine who pastor wonderful churches now for decades. I believe with all of my heart, again, this is just my opinion, I believe with all my heart that the next real move of God's Spirit is going to begin in the gay community. I really believe that God is going to reach out and save the people that most of us would think are unsavable. A lot of us are like the Pharisees, you know, oh, he's sitting with sinners and prostitutes and he doesn't know it. I think a lot of us look at homosexuals that way. And God says, okay, I'm going to show you. That's just my opinion. I think that's where the next move of God's Spirit is going to be if, in fact, there is going to be one more move, Doug. So um, don't let the false prophets... um, distract you. 340-9585. Here's a question from Randy. Um, How can I know the Holy Spirit better? I know the Father. I know Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is more difficult. How can I know Him? Well, Randy, I don't really understand why He's more difficult except that you can't see Him. But the truth is you can't see the Father either. Jesus became a human so that we could relate to Him. Um, we, We can understand Him. Uh, he became like us. But the Father's Spirit, and we know that we're to worship Him in spirit and in truth, the Holy Spirit is spirit, and He lives in us. He's chosen to live in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So here's the way you can know the Holy Spirit better. Just be with Jesus. That's all. Just be with Jesus. Walk with him every day. Talk to him every day. If you're doing that, it's the Holy Spirit whose job it is. It's his ministry to reveal the person of Jesus Christ to the human heart. So if you want to know the Holy Spirit better, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another just like me, only he will be in you, the promised Holy Spirit. And so that's just Jesus living in you, but in the person of the Holy Spirit. Again, they're not one and the same. They're just separate and distinct but the Greek word alos means exactly the same but different in substance. Jesus would say, I'm physical, he won't be. So the way to know him better is to listen to him. Whenever you hear the Lord speaking to you, that's the Holy Spirit revealing him. Be obedient to what you know you're supposed to do. Acts 5.32 says, if you do that, God will give the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Don't grieve him or quench the spirit, as Paul points out, through disobedience or willfulness. Or sometimes we can just be stubborn, our hearts are hard. Um, but if you want to know him better, be with Jesus. The Father sent the Son to reveal who the Father really is. The Son sent the Spirit to reveal who the Son really is. So the way we know the Holy Spirit better and the way we bring glory to the Holy Spirit is to let him reveal the person of Jesus Christ to us. Be with Jesus every day, Randy. And I promise you, you will not only know the Holy Spirit better, but you will realize that you're walking in the perfect will of God for your life. And that's a wonderful place to be. I hope that explains to you, Randy. There's... There's, you know, I could say open your Bible study, uh, but but I assume you're already doing that. By the way, if you want to know the Holy Spirit better, you want to know Jesus better, the Father better. You can't do it if you're not a man or a woman of the Word. So you've got to be in the Word, always pointing to Jesus. You know, almost if you take a, and I'm not an electronic Bible fan. I realize that's the that's not going to change. But imagine sitting there with your Bible. Genesis 1-1. And just turning pages as you read. And every page, you turn a new page, and then it's like a neon light says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Every page is about Jesus. It's his testimony. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real to your heart. And the Holy Spirit's not saying, I need some attention here. He's saying, no, no. I'm pointing you to Jesus. And when you're walking with Jesus every day, then you're going to know with intimacy the Holy Spirit and his power for you. 
one other thing um, regarding that. Um, without giving you too much detail, I, I do a, a series of exercises where I count down. And when I get to number four, it's a countdown from 25 to 4. It takes, takes some time to do it. But um, when I get to 4, it's like um, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It, to me, four, number 4 represents the Word of God. And then after I get done with the exercise, and then before I start 3, I take just a, a momentary pause. And I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to plug in now to all this power. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And as I do the exercise, I'm counting down. I go, Father, Son, Spirit, Christ in me, hope of glory. And when you do that, your focus is on just being with Jesus. Thank you. Here's a question from Dre. I hope that's right and it just didn't drop off. Dre's question says, Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How should we understand that in terms of trying to stay physically healthy or concerning tattoos or piercings and things like that. Um, Dre, I like the, I like the question. Our body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, um, but, but we need to sort of get away from the mystical view of that. It just means Christ, uh, as I was talking a moment ago, Christ in us, the hope of glory, he lives in us. Um, and we're to respect our body for sure. But it's not like our body becomes a church. It's not like there's a little Jesus and or, or Holy Spirit running around in your heart. So it's relational rather than physicality. That's important to understand. So, um, you know, Mormons used to say that uh, the, the body is a temple of God, and so we can't drink anything with caffeine, we can't smoke cigarettes, we can't do those kinds of things. Um, um, and, and that's based on a misunderstanding. It's like walking into a building and defiling the altar of God. That's that's not what we can do. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man, it's what comes out of a man that defiles him. So um, having said that, I, I think I think we really need to emphasize trying to stay healthy, as, as physically fit as we can. Um, bodily exercise profiteth little, Paul says, but it does... Prophet, it's it's something that's good. We can't serve Jesus if we're dead. So I think we need to be, uh, as Christians, we need to be concerned that we're physically healthy enough to do what God's asked us to do. Um, you know, if I'm a hundred pounds overweight, or if I'm um, somebody that drinks a lot or or smokes, uh, I'm not taking care of my body so that my body can stay physically fit enough to serve God for as long as He wants me to do it. And I think that's not a physical issue as much as it is as a disrespect. You know, if we value our calling, we need to be able to say to the Lord, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this as long as you want me to. You know, you, you've listened to this program. You know I want Jesus to come. I want him to come right now. But every minute he delays, I want to be useful to the Lord. I can't do that if I'm sick. I can't do that if I let my body sort of run out of control. So I think physical fitness, again, I'm not talking about being going overboard, not making an idol in physical fitness, but instead uh, being healthy enough to serve the Lord uh, really honors the Lord and helps us understand what our role in terms of partnering with the Lord really is. With regard to tattoos and piercings and things like that, Dre, they don't really affect us. I think um, we who are a little bit older, we need to get away from the, the, the old, um, um, you know, those things. You shouldn't do those things to your body. Uh, and understand more in the context of our culture. It's body art. And so what we need to do is let the, 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 the people who are into tattoos and piercings um, embrace them. And love them and pray for them, but, but, but certainly not look down our throat, our nose at them. It's, it's, it's nothing to do with disrespecting our bodies at all. So I hope that makes sense. Let's go to a couple of phone calls. We've got Harold on line one. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. It's been a while since I've called. Uh, yeah. Something interesting I thought. Yeah, I've been reading uh, lately a chapter, I mean, Isaiah 53, 
52, 53, and, you know, the suffering servant, and that's supposed to be the entry of, you know, Jesus Christ, possibly, and, and that's mm-hmm. why I understand it. But, you know, earlier, you know how you said when you turn from Genesis page by page, you can see Jesus throughout the Bible. So I guess my question is, from Genesis to Isaiah 53, for the people that lived in that time, did they have any awareness of a Messiah like Jesus Christ? I don't mean like Moses or like Noah. I mean, now we can look at it and, and see. Mm-hmm. But back then, it seems like he was introduced only in Isaiah 52, 53. So I'll, I'll listen on the air if you don't mind. And, uh, yeah, it's fine, Harold. All right, thank That's you. fine. Uh, thank you for calling. It's always good to hear from you, Harold. It has been a while since you've called. Um, a, a couple of things. Um, Genesis chapter 3 is where the Messiah was introduced for the first time. Um, the prophecy, the first prophecy of, of Jesus is Genesis um, chapter 3. So, so it's not true that Jesus didn't appear until Isaiah. Uh, we can go back and very specifically into Psalm, Psalm 22. You know, Israel believes, or, or Jews believe, uh, that, that Israel, the nation, is a suffering servant. But if you look at Psalm 22, there's a very specific prophecy, detailed prophecy of the crucifixion, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. There are more than 300 prophecies that have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, Harold. And so, um, every book of the Bible, there, there, there are prophecies, Deuteronomy, a prophet like Moses, or a prophet greater than Moses. That's a reference to Jesus. And when you get to the suffering servant passages, I think that the hang-up that most Jews have is simply that that um, they can't believe that, that uh, their Christ, when he comes, will suffer. He's going to be a conquering Christ. And um, um, they've, they, they've been blinded to, uh, through unbelief, they've been blinded to the suffering servant passages that have been fulfilled by Jesus. The, the prophecy of his birth in Bethlehem, the, the prophecy of his death, uh, and everything in between. Um, just the idea that when he comes, he's not going to deliver them, he's not going to reestablish Israel in all of its glory. Uh, that's just something that's really, really difficult for them to understand. And um, they, they, they're spiritually discerned. It has to be um, mixed with faith. And if they don't do that, uh, Harold, then they're not going to see Jesus. Those blinders are still going to be on. There's a veil that covers their heart. So um, don't at all think that the, the prophecies of the Christ uh, began only in Isaiah or in the suffering servant passages. Literally, if you go through the Bible with me, there's so many types and pictures of Christ. We're going through, uh, wait, wait till I get to Joseph in Genesis in a few weeks. Uh, actually, it'll be probably three or four months. But when we get to Joseph, there's so many prophecies, uh, pictures and types uh, that, that Jesus is everywhere on the page. So thank you, uh, Harold, and it really is good to hear from you. Let's go to, I think we've got time for one more call today. Jimmy on line two. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I saw the scripture. It's called First Peter 5 8. Uh, we're living in a, in a time where Satan doesn't hide anymore, and the world can't see him. I mean, that is so true. Yep. The world can't see him. They can't see the evil in the world. A lot of people, uh, I try to share things with people, and they, they can't. They say, well, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay for for, uh, for same-sex marriage. And so I said, no, it isn't. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's okay to do this. I said, no, it's not. You know, Jimmy, not Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, if you, if you get some time tonight, read it. Um, Isaiah describes a time where um, uh, good is called evil and evil is called good. Uh, and that's that's a result of hard hearts given over to sin. Romans chapter 1 says that God gives them over in the hardness of their heart. He gives them over. And uh, remember that salvation and seeing the light, seeing truth, is a result of the, the, the move of the Holy Spirit. And if God gives us over, then we no longer even desire to seek the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly the time that we're living in. 
We're living in a time where people don't want truth. Uh, everybody has their own version or brand of truth. We hear people say, well, my truth is, and I'm living my truth, those kind of statements. And and th- th- those are nonsensical statements because nobody gets to have a truth that isn't true. Truth, by definition, is mutually exclusive, so there can only be one thing that is true uh, as opposed to things that contradict, other things that contradict with that one thing. And Jimmy, we live in a time, you're exactly right, where hearts are getting harder and harder and harder. That's why we need to persist and persevere in declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, declaring that, that, that salvation is by grace through faith. And we need to encourage people to keep looking up. And I think one of the ways that we can do it, Jimmy, and this is one of the things that you've got to convince yourself of, is that all the people who believe that they're okay, believe that same-sex marriage is okay, or, or being transgender is okay, those kind of things. Truth is, in their heart of hearts, they are the most miserable of all people because they're resisting the one who created them to worship him. And it's like trying to put your foot into a shoe that's half the size you need. It's going to be painful. You can fake it for a while, but it's going to be painful. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate the comment. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Paula will be live in studio with us tomorrow. Ladies, it's your day. 340-9585. Put that on your calendar for tomorrow morning, and we'll see you then. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.